Okay, so we're in the last week, week three of John the Baptist. Um, That's why my beard looks so awesome. Matt, from the back, can you see my beard? A little bit. Okay, just a little bit. That's good. You can see it. Okay, I paid you to say that, though, right? Because two weeks ago, I asked that question, and, and somebody honestly said no. And I thought they were joking. I went home and saw the video, and I was like, wow, you really can't see it at all. It's terrible. But hopefully today, at least a little bit. Um, many of you have grown beards, and they look fantastic. I have a lot of beard envy. Um, a lot of beard envy. I think Terry might have the nice. I like Terry's beard a lot. A lot. I had to repent. I liked it so much. Okay, so we've spent um, the first two weeks, we've been learning about John. We learned about the man, who John was. We learned that he was unique, and we learned that we're unique as well, which is good news. And we learned that his mission was to play fullback, right? Is that what we learned? His mission was to make the way for Jesus. And so I don't know how you are. But um, I love how Jesus taught. He's very, he, he's very deep, man. Obviously, he's Jesus. But he'd use very simple things, and he would call them parables. He would say, here's a mustard seed. Or he'd say, you know, look at this or look at that. Um, look at the birds of the, of the field. And, and so whenever people saw those things, they never saw them the same again, right? So, I mean, I taught that message two weeks ago, and I hadn't, seen, I hadn't watched a football game the same since. Like, I'm watching the fullback all the time, especially Mike Tolbert, because he just blows people up. And I'm just like, man, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make a way for Jesus. So this morning, we're finishing it up by his, we're going to look at his message. And this could be a very, it could be a short message if we just said what his message was. Because it's very simple. It's found in Luke chapter 3, verse 3. It says that he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John's message was very simple, very straightforward. It was one word, and the word was? Repent. If all of us could hear that word and think the exact same thing, and it was a good thing, then we could just move on, right? But the truth of the matter is, I say repent, and I could have had you talk about that. Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word repent? And we would all have different answers. Or, if we had the same answer, it would look like some, I bought some pictures to show you. This is kind of what goes through our head when we hear the word repent. Okay, we just kind of keep going, they get worse. Seen billboards like that? That's somebody wearing a shirt of sackcloth that says repent. Uh, just pause here for a second. Um, I hesitated to show this one, but I thought this was a really good, great, great thing. This is how I think of when I think repent. So here's a man who's got, I mean, everything that you could have listed, um, except Tar Heel, and how you should repent for it. Listen, I have to jab the Tar Heels. It's all I've got because you're better than the Wolfpack. So, but it says, what do you see in that picture? You see, repent, hell awaits you. And then you see two men just embracing, obviously mocking this guy. And that's a pretty good, if, if not how the church sees repentance, that's definitely what the world thinks of when they hear the word repent. So let's go. We got a couple more to, to flip through. I love that van. I don't know if you get a tax right off for that or not. I think we might have one more. That's probably the worst of all of them because we're watching a kid hold signs. And, and believe it or not, I mean, here in Stanley County, we've, we've actually had that. I mean, we had that happen across the street from our church. And so it's not hard to picture that because we do. So when we hear the word repent, typically 
These are the thoughts that are going through our heads. So here's the thing. My goal this morning is very, very simple. Very simple. It's not even to convince you to repent. Oh, that'd be awesome if you feel like you need to. My goal this morning is to help us walk out of here just with a, a clearer picture of when we say the word repent, what does it really mean? What does God mean? Because have you read that word in the Bible? Oh, what, have you read that word in the Bible? Yes. Okay. And you're going to hear it. In, have you heard it in church before? And you're going to hear it a lot in this church. We're going to be a church that says the word repent a lot. But so it's important that when I say it or if Phil says it or you're having a conversation in community group and that word comes up, that I don't want all of us to have these images because then you're like, oh, I hate that. It's, my guess is this morning when you got the note sheet, you saw the word repent. The first thing you thought was if there's a way to slip out of here, I'll do it. Because we've just we've heard it so maybe wrong. So my goal this morning is simply this. John preached it. It was his message. I want us to take a look at what man's repentance is like, what God's repentance is like, and hopefully when we leave here, it's a little bit clearer. Does that make sense? Okay, here we go. Number one, quick comparisons. And we'll, some will go fast, some will go slow. There's a ton of scripture. Just get your pen out and write the scripture down because there's more than I'll ever be able to look up and read. Man's repentance shows us how bad we are. God's repentance shows us how good God is. It's just quick comparisons, okay? Man wants to show us how bad we are. God wants to show us how good he is. We've said this before. The church has become an expert at telling people what they already know. Things like, you're a drunk, you're an addict, you're a rabbit killer. Or maybe not a rabbit killer, but fill in your own thing, right? And so what happens is we tell people all the time what they already know. And we try to convince them of what they already know. You do not have to tell an addict that he or she is an addict. They're pretty sure they already know. Because they wake up places and don't remember what happened. They realize they don't have any money in their pocket. They know something's wrong. A man's approach to repentance is to show you how bad you are. God's to show you how good he is. John 3, 16 and 17. We all know what John 3, 16 says. God so loved the world that he sent his only son... That whoever believes in him would not, be, would not perish but be saved and have eternal life. But verse 17 says, what? That he did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus the world might be saved. Short poem. God gave to save. That's what he did. He showed his love. That's what motivates God's message of repentance. Always. God knows that if we see how good he is, that alone could be enough to begin the change in us. Number two, man's repentance wants to make us better. God's repentance wants to make us new. This will sound a little bit um, pop psychish, but most of us are on board with being better, right? Um, you don't sling terms around like behavior modification on a regular basis, do you? Like just in casual conversation, Hey, let's talk about behavior modification. But you do know the truth of it, especially if you're a parent, right? You reward what you would like to have repeated. So that, that's funny because that worked really went good when you're a parent of like a two-year-old. Oh, good job. You, you went pee-pee. Here, have some candy. You know, like with us, it was like throw the Cheerios in the toilet so they could you know, like sink the Cheerios 
anything, anything to get them thinking like, go there, right? Try behavior modification with your spouse. I would caution you to be very, very sly about it, right? Good job, honey. You picked your underwear off the floor. Here's a Hershey bar, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I would not recommend going there at all. If you're going to do behavior modification with your spouse, do things like this. I love you, and I want you to keep loving me, so we're going to Hawaii. And that might work, right? But, hey, honey, good job. Good job cooking tonight, and we could chew it. It's fantastic. Here's a gift card to Dunkin' Donuts. I would not recommend it. So there is a place in this world for people like Dr. Phil. Okay, he's not a bad guy. Um, how's that working out for you? Not a bad question. There's a place in this world for that. There's a place in this world for behavior modification, for rewarding. I mean, you know, we'll do things, and you pass them on the back. Hey, great job. Don't you like that? Don't you like attaboys? Everybody likes that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point here is that repentance from man's perspective just wants to make you better. If I could just get you to maybe act a little bit better so you don't embarrass me. That's man's idea of repentance. Maybe you don't smoke quite as much. Maybe just a two-pack instead of a six-pack. Whatever we can get you to do to just modify how you act so that we're not... It's like your crazy uncle. Just be nice. But man's repentance is about behavior modification. God's repentance is about total heart transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. He has made us new. And that makes us better. By changing who we are, he begins to change what we do. Psalm 51.10, this is David's, this is the most um, famous prayer in the Bible on repentance. Psalm 51, um, you probably don't know maybe the agony of this psalm because you've not had an affair and then had the spouse killed. But if ever that were to happen, this is your psalm, right? Okay, because that's what happened in David's life. He has a woman who's not his. She gets pregnant. He has the husband killed. And after all of that, and God still wants to use him, and he feels such like a worm, this was his prayer of repentance. And he said in Psalm 51.10, he wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He did not say, O God, please help me keep my pants zipped. Is that too honest? Oh, God, please help me not to frequent those places. He said, change me on the inside. Renew a spirit in me. Because he knew God's plan of repentance is to change who we are, not what we do. If you change who you are, then what you do just takes care of itself. Man's repentance wants to make us better. God wants to make us new. Number three, man's repentance Leads us to a 360. God's repentance leads us to a 180. And right away, all the guys are like, if I could do a 360, I'd win the slam dunk contest, right? That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about direction, okay? So here is a couple verses to think about. 
2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, that there are two types of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow and there's a godly sorrow. It says that worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to godly repentance, which leads us to salvation. And here's how this works, okay? We're all headed in one direction. From the day that we're born, okay, we're all headed. It's not Stanley County. We're all headed in one direction, and we're just trucking down the road to death. That's encouraging, isn't it? Isn't that good to know? Like meet somebody on the street. Hey, where are you headed? Cemetery. <laughs> awesome. Want to go? Not really. Well, you are. These are not conversations we like to have, right? Proverbs 14:12 says this: that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it leads to death. Now that's a depressing verse. Because here's what it means. How many of you, and I'm not, it's not a trick question, okay, just be honest. How many of you in the last week have made a good decision, at least one, at least one good decision? Raise your hand. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb here and say we could all put our hands up. It's not a trick question, okay? Like, you're dressed. That was a good decision. Because I don't want to see you naked. So when you got up this morning and decided I'm going to get dressed to go out the door to go to church, good job. Great decision. Did you get dressed yesterday? That's two. You made at least seven good decisions in the last week. But here's what that verse means, okay? And I don't mean to be the downer here, but let me just make sure we understand sin and the, and the heart and nature of sin. It means this. Every good decision, I'm going to get dressed before I go to church today. Ding! We feel so good about that. But all those decisions are made on a journey to death. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. We're all headed to the same place. And so repentance, what is repentance? From the world's perspective and from God's perspective, it is a change of direction. And so we see a sign, you know, repent, or we hear a message, or we realize, wait a second, God, I don't want to go die. What am I talking about? You sent Jesus for me. And so we turn our lives around, and that is a 1-A-T. And this is repentance. And now I'm facing a totally different direction. And that's a good thing, right? And now I'm getting dressed to go to church, and I'm making the same decisions, but I'm headed in a different direction. And this is a 180. This is what God wants for you. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Not, I'm sorry I got caught. I will be better next time. But against you and you alone, Psalm 51, David starts to pray it this way. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. Oh, God, I'm going the wrong way. Ugh. If nothing else in my life changes beyond this point, I can't walk away from you, God. Against you, I've sinned. I'm coming back to you. And this is a good thing. But here's what man's repentance does. Behavior modification. I'm going to try so hard to only kill three rabbits this week. I'm going to try to stop smoking. I'm going to try to stop hitting my wife. I'm going to try to top, stop gossiping. Whatever that it is, whatever that thing we try to stop. And so for a moment, and all of you have seen this in other people, it would never have happened to you. But you made a change. And you felt good. And then you made a change back. And you felt worse than you ever felt when you were here the last time. Because man's repentance does a 360. And that's not God's design for repentance. 
His design is not for you to keep doing this, but just to make a change of direction. How do we keep from doing this? This is when I become a broken record, because you already know the answer, okay? I'm going to start rattling them off for you. You can jot them down if you want to. They're not even in the notes because you hear me say them all the time. How do we make this change and go this way and not go back that way? It's called guardrails. And what are the guardrails in the Christian life? Reading the Bible, praying, huge guardrail, community. That thing that the individuals in America hate, and that's why they're failing. That's why you know strong people that are doing this. And they come to you and go, how can I make it stop? You're like, I, got, I don't know exactly how. I mean, I can help you. Oh, what? What can I do? Come to my house, Wednesday night, community group. I mean, besides that, anything else? Just stand there until you get dizzy enough and fall over. Then I'll pick you up and take you to my house for community group. That's why we talk about it so much. It's not because we think we have the best living rooms. I, I, I host one. I'm not the best host. You know I'm an introvert. I'd rather be at home by myself. But I, if I don't have it in my life, I will make the right decision and immediately make the wrong decision again. If I don't have somebody in my life that says, dude, you've been down this road. Let's don't go back. Guardrails. It keeps a 180 from turning into a 360. Number four, man's repentance feels like the end. God's repentance is just the beginning. I can think of people right now who are not in church this morning. And the reason that they're not here is because the message of the gospel feels constricting to them. If I say yes to Jesus, my life will suck. I know you don't want to hear your preacher say stuff like that, but your family does. Your friends do. And they're not sitting here, not because you haven't asked them, not because they don't like you or they don't like me or they don't even like the idea of sitting in a place like this. They're not here because they feel like if they say yes to Jesus, if they repent, then their life immediately, they lose all their options. Man's repentance, it convinces us it's the end. If I really repented, just imagine, here's this testimony. I repented, and that was the day my life was over. No more fun, no more beer, no more movies, just prayer and reading the Bible in King James. That's how people think of repentance. Like, if I give my heart to Jesus and I repent, if I make the U-turn and go 180, like, all that I have here is monk life. I have to read King James and, like, Leviticus. Oh, God, I thought you were going to give me joy, and I have to go to community group. I don't like it at all. And then you turn back around here, now you're walking to death. But see, if you were in community group, guess what you would hear? A bunch of mature believers that said things to you like this. Yeah, I felt that way too, because that's the lie. The lie is that if you repent, it's over. But the truth is if you repent, it's just the beginning. Write these verses down. Acts 3.19 says that when we repent, times of refreshing come. I mean, what is the refreshing for you? For me, it's like a tub of Swedish fish 
Panthers winning. Wendy's saying, what can I get for thee? <laughs> Two out of three is not bad, right? I don't have the sweetest fish. I mean, what's your time? You know, I don't know what it is, but think about it. Think about just, just not even spiritually, just practically. What do you do in your life that does not drain you, but it refreshes you? Sometimes, you know, for me, honestly, the beach. If I can just go to the beach and sit on the sand and just look at the ocean, there's just something about the beach. And I know what it is. It's because growing up, that was, our, that was our spot as a family. Walks on the beach with my mom. Those were, I cherish those memories. And so when I go there, it's like some people like the mountains. Mountains are cool, whatever, deal with it. But I want the beach. And I can sit on the beach and I can journal on the beach and blow the sand away and journal some more. I can, I'm the guy that lays on the beach, falls asleep, wakes up red. You know, I'm just relaxed. It's just refreshing. What is that for you? Where is that for you? We love to talk about it physically, but think about it spiritually. I want that. I mean, do you ever just get weighed down? Like, even though you made the right decision and you're walking, it's just like, oh, this Christian thing is hard. And in this moment, when, listen, I want to make sure you hear me clearly. What we want to do is wrap our arms around you and say, it's so bad. It'll get better. I'm so sorry. What we should say is repent. But we don't want to say that because everybody sees the sign. God hates you. So we don't want to say the R word. But that's the answer. Acts 3.19 says, if you'll repent, times of refreshing come. Oh, that's what I need. 1 John 1.9 says that when we repent, we are clean, we are pure, we have a fresh start. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. We're coming up on January, the busiest time of the year for gyms. Because... Honestly, we are fat now. It's the end of the year. We've been packing the food on, the weight. And so we're like, January's coming. I'm going to get a fresh start. Everybody likes a fresh start. Repentance is the fresh start spiritually. Matthew 3, 2 and 3. This is the message that John preached. He said, repent because the kingdom of God is near. And here's what I want you to get. I read this in a commentary. This is great. John the Baptist was creating a favorable environment. And making it easy for Jesus to enter into and operate in the lives of people. So he wasn't saying, repent because Jesus is coming and he's going to kill you. But that is how we see it, right? Again, it's man's idea of repentance. He's going to kill you. No, 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 no. He's saying repent because Jesus is coming. And he wants to hang out with you. He wants to have an open door to move in your life and do what he wants to do. And so... Repentance is never the end. It is always the beginning. It's not a closed door on your sin as much as it's an open door for him. That's repentance. Number five. We're moving quickly, I hope. This is, a, this is easy. We don't have to talk about this long. Man's repentance points people to hell. God's repentance points people to Jesus. Man points people to hell. God points people to Jesus. 
Um, we, we mentioned John 3:17 earlier. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So here's, um, here's what Jesus didn't do. This would have been awesome. This would be, you've never seen this in any Christmas play, right? The baby's born, Wah! and immediately the baby reaches around behind him and whips out a sign. I hate you. Jesus didn't come like that. I, 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 mean, I hadn't read the verse yet. If it's in there, show me. But I don't see Jesus walking into cities and towns, going into Galilee with big signs and say, I hate you, repent, I'm here. He didn't do that. That's an angry message that's best preached by angry preachers. God's message pointed people to Jesus as the gift of a holy, loving Father who could give dead people life. That's God's message of repentance. John 12, 32. This is Jesus speaking about the cross. He said that when he was to be lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. So any repentance that is not grounded squarely on the fact that we see Jesus more than even our sin is a repentance that will not last. So if we're repenting because of our sin more than because we see Jesus, that repentance will not last. This is a 360. Seeing Jesus is a 180. Six. I want to make sure you get this one. We'll spend a little bit of time here. Man's repentance argues about truth. God's repentance talks about truth. Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so you've all seen pictures of pickets, picket lines, right? So maybe it's an abortion clinic, maybe it's whatever. And so on one side you got the, you know, God hates you sign or whatever. And on the other side you got God wants me to have a choice sign or whatever. And then what happens eventually? They start having tea. Yelling, yeah. <laughs> Have you not seen this? They start arguing, point fingers. They start to argue about truth. So there's a winner, there's a loser. Usually it's just losers. And no one really wins. They're arguing back and forth about truth. Somehow lost in all the anger is one simple fact. I want to make sure you get it. You don't have to like it because I don't either. Man's repentance says the truth. And that feels horrible. Does it feel horrible to you or is it just me? Like to stop and think about the fact that like repent or go to hell. As, as much as I hate that. It's true. We argue about it. We we and we just we were driving me and Parker and Will somewhere and we saw a van. A, 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 it was up in Richfield, a car pulling out, and it was one of those cars that got stuff like repent, love Jesus, no, not love Jesus. God hates you. You're going to go to hell. Repent. And you know, all the things that make you never want to run to the person driving it, right? And they're in Richfield, and Parker immediately said, "God, there's got to be a better way." I agree. There's got to be a better way. But like everything on that car was true what do we do with that Romans 3.10 Romans 3.24 they're both true we are all sinners Romans 6.23 is true we all deserve death Hebrews 12.14 these are the fun verses of the Bible by the way Hebrews 12.14 is true without holiness none of us will see God The anger-filled posters that we see, actually, most of them 
fairly true. And we hate this because it's hard to see Jesus in them. Here's what I mean by God wanting us to talk about truth. He wants his church to talk about truth. He wants his church to have conversations about truth instead of debates over truth. I know my heart as your pastor is to have conversations with a city. It's not my heart to go to every person in the city that's not serving Jesus and tell them that they're wrong and going to go to hell, although I believe that. I believe if we're not walking with Jesus, we're going to go to hell. No doubt about it. But I would much rather have a conversation with them about that than to beat them over the head with what they may already know. I believe that God would like us to have a conversation with culture. Write down Isaiah 118. I'll let you study this later, but here's what Isaiah 118 says. This is God, his, this is his word to people that are sinning, okay? When he could bash them over the head, this is what God says. Come now, let's reason together. And though your sins are like scarlet, they will be like snow. You know what the word reason means? Talk. Have a conversation. Like, I've had people in my life that mentored me, and we have sat down at a table, and they have looked at me and said, you are failing here. And I have said, you are a jerk now. But keep talking. Now, if they had just, like, beat me over the head and said, you're a loser, you'll never be any better than this, you're, you're awful than this, do I want to have a conversation? No. But when we approach things like that, we have a conversation with culture about sin. We have a conversation with culture about hell. We have a conversation with culture about Jesus who can save all of us from that. There's actually the chance that we get to see people come to know Jesus. Is it possible that somebody can fall on their knees on the sidewalk and repent because they walked past a sign that said, repent? Yes. Absolutely. Does God want us to argue it? No. He wants us to talk about truth. John 14, 6 says that truth is not a concept. It is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. So I don't have to debate with you about Jesus. He's truth, period. And if we're pointing people to Jesus and not pointing people to hell, we're having conversations about truth. His name is Jesus. Paul and he believes us so passionately. He instructed in Colossians 4.16 that we should always season our speech with salt and grace. At the Thanksgiving table, you will be seasoning, right? Yes, you will be salting and peppering. You will be adding seasoning to the food. And he says we're supposed to season our speech with salt and with grace. Ephesians 4.15, he tells us to speak the truth in love. As a matter of fact, you'll find out in the first of the year, we're going to do a series in Ephesians called One, and you will learn that this is the beginning. This is the doorway. This is the first step towards you and I growing up. Do you know how I knew when Parker and Will and Sydney started to grow up? We could have conversation. It wasn't stop pooping your pants. We could have conversation. Although that did happen. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. We have conversation about why they should make decisions that they should make. 
why this is a better decision than that decision. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4.15. Speak to one another in truth, truth in love, so that you may grow up in all things. No arguments, just conversations, angry arguments make this last observation even more apparent. Here's the last one. Man's repentance hardens hearts. God's repentance softens hearts. This one is obvious. If I yell at you, you're closing yourself off from me. If I talk with you in love, you're far more open to listening. Romans 2 verse 4 says this. Have you not, have you forgotten that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? There was a preacher, his name was David Wilkerson. I bet you've heard of him. Some of you have. He had a brother named Rich Wilkerson who tells this story. That when he was in junior high, he made a D. I don't know what it was like in your house, but I got grounded for nine weeks one time because I made a D. Ds were not acceptable. And this guy's house the same way. He made a D, and he was so he knew his dad was going to kill him. So while he was at school, he took a pencil, and he changed the D into a B. Not that any of you have ever practiced it, but it is possible. And he went home, and he gave his report card to his dad, and his dad said, just wait for me in your room. And at that point, Rich Wilkerson knew that it had not worked and he was going to be killed. So dead man walking down the hall into his room. He's sitting on the bed. He's nervous. He doesn't know what to expect. His dad walks in. His dad's a hard man. His dad walks in sits down next to him. And he turns to Rich and he begins to cry. And then Rich Wilkerson, I don't know how you would have been in middle school if your dad's crying, but it had been kind of weird for me. He's a little shaken, like not sure what's going on here. He's like, Dad, I'm, why, why are you crying? And his dad said this. He said, I never forgot it. His dad looked at him and said, Rich, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me for being such a bad father that you'd be so afraid of me that you would lie by changing a D into a B. And Rich just like, he's like, this is this watershed moment in my life. When it was the kindness of a father that changed me. See, man's repentance screams and yells and points out what we already know. We're already, I mean, are you not already defensive about the places that you fail? I am. So you pointing them out to me does not make me open up. It makes me close. So if God's screaming at us from heaven, if God is the picture we have in our head of repentance, then we never want to open up to God. Because if we do, he's going to kill us. But Romans 2, 4 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He actually makes us want to be better. I, I mean, I got to stand in front of Thomas and Casey yesterday and do their wedding. And you know what I know about Thomas and Casey? They both want to be better because they've been loved by each other. That's what God does for us. It's his kindness. It makes us want to be better. Not because we have to be, but because he enables us to be better. It softens our heart. Obviously, we're looking at the differences between man's form of repentance and God's form. I think it's a no-brainer. We probably want to repent God's way. Am I right? And so, nothing good can come from man's repentance. And so, we've got to make God's repentance our goal. And I knew that you wouldn't remember that. I should probably make it a big idea. I should probably make it rhyme, and I should probably make you say it with me. So here's the big idea for today. If man's repentance leads to shame, 
then God's repentance is our aim. Hmm. That would sound so good if you said it. That's why the words are on the screen. Here we go. If man's repentance leads to shame, then God's repentance is our aim. That's very good. So there, we've talked about seven comparisons. Um, these are pretty practical. It should help you determine which repentance is ruling your life. But let me give you three characteristics that were at the end of John, John the Baptist's message because we're wrapping this up about John the Baptist and then we'll be done. Um, in Luke chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, just Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching his one and only themed message. He never did anything except say repent. And so he tells him to repent. He says that I'm here because I'm preparing the way for Jesus. You need to repent. He calls him a brood of vipers. He says, you know, like we're going to burn you up if you don't change. Bear forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. One of these really hard messages. And at the end of the message in chapter Luke chapter 3, verse 10, somebody walked up to him and asked a question. That's probably the same question that you're asking this morning. And here it was. Well, um, John, what should we do? <laughs> Great question. What should we do? You just told us if we don't repent, we're going to be burned up. That there's um, like some people with axes going to cut us down. Doesn't sound very good. So tell us what we should do so that does not happen to us. And John gave, him, gave them an answer. And then in verse 13, 12, somebody else asked. And somebody else asked. Three different people asked him the same question. What should we do? He gave three answers that I think kind of help us wrap this whole thing up. Here's the answers that he gave them. Share what you have. Don't cheat people and don't bully. Those are the answers that John the Baptist. Now, you weren't expecting that. You were expecting, be sanctified, be holy, give more money. John just, he's practical. And he said, look, here's the deal. If you want to bear forth fruit with repentance, you want to live a repented life, these are the things that people are going to see in your life. You're going to share what you have. You're not going to cheat people, and you're not going to bully people. So if we boil those down into three characteristics, three words, these are three characteristics that will mark a repented life. And here's what it means. In a minute, oh, he already beat me to it. When those are up there, you're looking at generosity, honesty, humility. Here's what it means. If you're living a life of repentance before Jesus, your life will be marked by that. And if it's not... Guess what you should probably do? I'm sorry, what? Repent. Because when we repent God's way, that's the result. Luke 3.11. Let me just read these to you real quick so you know I'm not lying to you. Luke 3.11, John answered this. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. This is about sharing what you have. Generosity. Verse 13, he said this to the tax collectors. Don't collect any more than you're required to. Don't cheat people. Be honest. Verse 14, some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And John said, don't kill me. <laughs> That's not what he said, right? He told them the truth as well. John, was, we've learned that. He was not a man that was afraid. He said this, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I put down humility because I believe this. He's talking about the opposite of force. Listen, let's just say the dirty secret. If you're big enough, you can make people do anything you want. I mean, can you believe that in the NFL we're hearing about bullying? It's crazy. Like, I'm just going like, y'all are like 800 pounds. How can, it, how can you be bullied? Just sit on them. I don't get it. But bullying happens everywhere because if you're just a little bit bigger than the other person, you can make them do what you want. And that's what John's saying here. Man, if you've got a life that's repented, if you're living a repented life, you don't bully people. 
You don't make them do it. I, I don't stand up here and turn this into a bully pulpit, right? If I'm living a repented life, I don't sit up here and go, you're terrible. Because if I'm living a repented life, I'm too aware of the fact that I'm terrible. That I need Jesus probably more than you do. And he said, don't bully them. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. If you've lived any amount of time on this earth longer than five minutes, you know that this is not an automatic process. It is something that happens over time. That's probably the biggest misunderstanding about repentance. Man kind of sees it as an event, right? The Billy Graham thing, like we preach the gospel and we say, come and repent. And so we walk down, we repent, and we go, glad it's over. And then we go about our business. And what is that? That's a 180 that turns into a 360. Because repentance is not an event. Repentance is a lifestyle. I found this quote, again, I don't know who, who said it, it's great. Sin is a condition, not just a behavior. So true repentance is a lifestyle, not just an occasional practice. So in the words of John the Baptist, the second greatest bearded man to walk the planet, repent. Repent often. Repent God's way. Repent daily. Make it a practice. It will open the door for Jesus to come and operate in your life in a way that you have never known. And you will find yourself growing in generosity, in honesty, and in humility. And here's the thing. And here's how it all ties back into our church. When you do that, other people will be drawn to Jesus. And just like in John the Baptist's life, that has been and always will be the mission of this house is to live a life in such a way that through us, men, women, children are drawn to Jesus.